0: morning, everybody. I want to read to you from Isaiah 40. The chapter begins at a very uh, important time in the life of the nation of Israel, and this is what it says from God. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Comfort to my people. Uh, this was written to a nation that was in pain of all things. Uh, they were going through a lot of suffering. There was uh, problems and frustration and fear. And what God says in Isaiah 40, to start it off with, was comfort, comfort my people. You know, we are a very diverse church, and our diversity is our strength. I want you to remember that. Our diversity is our strength. God has called us to be diverse, and we learn from each other. We need each other. We need that diversity. When we look around what 's happening in our nation. I think we can all agree that our nation needs prayer. Oh, I have debated all week feeling like I need to say something you know here today, realizing that um, given three minutes to say something, given thirty minutes i couldn 't say the right thing, but I know i 'm not going to say the right thing in three minutes. Because everywhere I step uh, in these comments could be misperceived. Like, I should say that. No, that's going to be a problem. I could say this. That's going to be a problem. Kristen and I have been talking about it for days. Maybe you should just get up and pray. No, that's also going to be a problem. (laughs) Uh, Almost nine months ago... um, got to really put it um, on our hearts as a church to begin to plan a series where we talk about how Jesus Christ brings us together. And in January, we're going to talk about this a lot because we're going to spend an entire month, maybe a little bit more on how Jesus Christ brings people together. It's amazing. It's a wonderful scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 that says Jesus Christ takes down the barrier of hostility between people. It's amazing. And what you see is, is the first thing that happens after Christ ascends and the church begins is you see people, a whole diverse group of people coming together. It's the first practical application of the church of Jesus Christ is a diverse group of people coming together. It's a beautiful thing, and it's a powerful thing. And we're going to spend over a month talking about that. We're going to study it. We're going to discuss it. We're not just going to have time here on this platform. We're going to discuss it, and we're going to work together on it. Um, I just want to say this one thing. One of the most common responses, theological responses I hear to the pain that is going on, you know, in, in our nation and I realize, listen, you know regardless of how you feel this morning okay you know john i'm not i'm not in pain well, the Bible says that when one part of the body is suffering, we all suffer. we mourn with those you know who mourn and this is this is this is not a political statement, so don't misunderstand anything i 'm saying i 'm not talking politics i 'm talking human beings, people in Jesus Christ right now, and so one of the things that I have heard the most theologically over the last few days is, you know, God is still on the throne. That's, it's it's true, it's true, it's, it's a biblical truth statement that God, you know, is on the throne. But as I have talked to people, both in this church community and in the community and listened, um, a lot of people find that. Um, dismissive of their feelings. And so I began to think about how how would Jesus respond? I mean, we're following Jesus. We're trying to follow Jesus, right? How would Jesus respond to this? And I began to think about Jesus when his friend Lazarus died. A famous story in the Bible. Lazarus and you had his sisters Mary and Martha, right? And so Lazarus has died. He's been dead for a few days. He finally shows up. And Mary and Martha and all kinds of people, oh, man, they're in pain. They're crying. They're suffering. They're tears. And Jesus walks up. And Jesus walks up knowing what? Knowing that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? So you would think he would say, hey, come on. What's the problem here? It's all going to be great in just a minute. But what he did not say to Mary and Martha is, you know, Get over it. God's on the throne. Instead, he does this thing that is so amazing. Shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. Well, I just think we have to be sensitive, regardless of how we're feeling, be sensitive to the pain and the suffering and ask for Jesus Christ to move and work in our lives and in our world. And so I was reading through the Psalms, and the Psalms are wonderful, wonderful prayers to God. And so I took some excerpts of Psalm chapter 3 and Psalm 4, and I just want to lead us in a prayer that's basically straight from those two Psalms and ask God to help us. Will you pray with me? We cry out to you, Lord, because you answer us. We lie down and sleep because you sustain us. Give us relief from our distress and have mercy on us. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make us dwell in safety. Father, we trust in you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Grace. My name is Derek. It's great to see you guys. Um, We are in part two of a series called The Most Good. And last week we kicked off this series by really taking a look at God's heart for those in need, and uh, those over two thousand scriptures we find in the Bible that have to do with God's heart and concern for those in need, and then we looked at what is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to do something about it, and um, I think it was pretty much all of us in this room would agree. It's it's a it's. It's hard to argue with the fact that we are called to do the most good we can for for those in need. That's part of our call as Christians. But really, the question is, how do we do it? How do we do it in a way that does the most good? In his book, Toxic Charity, author Robert Lupton, in the introduction, talks about um, Africa in the past 50 years. And The crazy thing is that over the past 50 years, one trillion dollars of aid has flown into Africa. One trillion, that's a million millions. And for that amount of aid in 50 years, Africa is actually far worse off than it was 50 years ago. The per capita income is lower than it was in the 1970s. And today over half of the population lives on less than $1 a day. And let me tell you, all that aid, everyone who was sending that out, and all the NGOs and and all the governments, were all thinking that they were helping. But how do we ensure that what we do to make a difference is actually doing the most good? Think about the the meal packaging event we're going to do on December the 4th, 150,000 meals, and we're all fired up about that. But how do we know that where those meals go, those don't impact local farmers or local economies? If the food's all going to go in there, how do we know it's not going to undercut the market and, and actually do a lot of harm in the midst of trying to do something good? And you may be here being like, whoa, hold on a second. Isn't that like the church's job? I mean, we just, like, we just show up for the event, right? The church's job, I mean, I know you pastors work like one day a week. So, you know, I mean, you probably have time to vet the organizations and the causes. And, and I will tell you that, yes, that, that is actually one of the great value adds of being plugged into a church is that the church does that work for you. When you see the missions organizations and you see the different charities that we support and all the things that we partner with, you can just feel good about giving and serving to those things because someone's done all the legwork on their one day a week of um, of checking that stuff out, okay? But let's, let's get even more personal to so something that's all happened to us, um, some of us probably pretty recently. Um, how about when you're walking on the street somewhere in D.C., and someone comes up to you and asks you for money. In that moment, there's a part of you that remembers some of those Bible verses, thinks about your Christian responsibility to help those in need. But then there's another part of you at the same time, if you're going to be honest, is already sizing the person up. And the question in your mind is, what is this person going to do if I do help them and I do give them some money? And maybe the deeper question is, is this actually going to be helping them truly? Or is this going to be hurting them because maybe it's just fostering dependency or enabling a deeper pattern of uh, uh, some sort of behavioral pattern? And so we have this dilemma. We know that we should, but... But should we, you know, is this really gonna help? And so, really, this is what the, the tension that we want to explore and try and unpack a little bit this morning is, yeah, okay, we're called to help. We're called to do something. That's that's part of the role of the Christian church. But how do we do it? What does it look like? And how do we do it in a way that does the most good? Now, this is a huge challenge. But The reason it's such a huge challenge actually doesn't have so much to do with that there are all these massive needs out there. And the fact that it's such a huge challenge doesn't have so much to do with there's just all these great organizations and, and causes and how do we possibly pick and figure out that and navigate that whole deal. But really, the biggest challenge may actually lie within ourselves the biggest challenge may actually have more to do with how we think about these issues and how we process them and how it then leads us to act in a way that does the most good. I want to challenge you with two things today and the first one we'll get to in just a minute but I want to kind of give you a mental exercise to do right now uh, quietly in your mind. If I asked you to define the word poverty what would you say? Just think about that for a second. If you had to come up with a definition, what's poverty? What words come to your mind right now? If you had to like jot something down in in your bulletin or on your smartphone or just a couple of words, couple of phrases, how would you define poverty? Well, if you're like most of the Western world, you would define poverty something like this. It's the state of being poor. It is a real lack of basic, essential things that you need. And you'd be thinking in terms of basic material things, right? Food, shelter, clothing, money, uh, medicine, clean water, you know, those basic things. That's what it means to be in poverty. And I think we could almost all agree that that's what comes to mind, right? That's that's the thought that comes into our mind. That's how we would define it. That's how we would think about it. Now, if you were to ask someone who actually lives in poverty and has been living in poverty for a sustained amount of time, how they would define poverty, what their words they would use to describe it. I want you to listen to these words, okay? This is actually from a World Bank study that was conducted a number of years ago. And they studied, they they surveyed 60,000 people in 60 different impoverished countries. And they asked them, what is poverty? Listen to these words and see how they jive with what words you had in your mind. This is how they described it. Powerlessness, despair, inferiority, shame, depression, hopelessness. Isn't that interesting? What comes to our mind and what comes to the mind of someone who's actually in poverty are so Incredibly different things. If we are going to do the most good that we can for those in need, the first thing that we have to rethink is how we see poverty, how we understand it. We have to rethink poverty. Because what immediately comes to mind for most of us has something to do with this right? It ultimately comes down to material, financial resources in some way, shape, or form. It just pretty much does. That's our normal, natural reaction living in this country. But to the person who's actually in poverty, who's really the only one qualified to really say what it actually means and looks like and feels like, and this isn't like the greatest It's a little bit clunky of an illustration, but I'm trying to give you some visual here, okay? This is more what it means for them to be in poverty. It's more like a trap. Hopelessness, despair, shame. How can I ever get out of this? I cannot seem to break free from this to escape it. I am trapped in this thing, and I can't seem to get out of it. Now, you're like, okay, so this is great, but like, why is this important? Why does this matter? I mean, who really cares? We're talking about a definition. We're talking about semantics. I feel like I'm in school. This is terrible. Okay. What are we doing? All right. Here's why this is so important because how we think of poverty will shape how we address poverty, right? Can we agree on that? So here's the bottom line. When someone comes to you with a need, someone's in crisis, or there's some situation that you want to respond to, what is the visceral reaction that you will have when any need, anything you want to help, what do you do? What do you do? Like, ah, ah, you're thinking about pulling out your wallet, right? You're thinking about resources. What can we give to somebody? What, what, can we, what can we do for them, okay? And that is part of the issue, is we have to rethink what poverty really is at the deepest level. Certainly, yes, there's a material element to it. Of course there is. But let's think deeper. Let's think more critically, I want you to um, check out this Bible passage with me. This is, um, this is a historical account of the early church. This is found in the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 3. Just a little frame of reference. This is after Jesus has been crucified He's been resurrected and he's appeared to his followers. Now the early church is just in its beginnings. Um, The spirit of God is just like, man, it is just sweeping across these first followers of Jesus. There's miracles and all sorts of amazing things happening. People are coming to faith. And so we're early on in the book of Acts. It's an amazing book of the Bible. And we get a look at two of Jesus' disciples who were there with Jesus before uh, he was crucified. It says, chapter three, verse one, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What I love about this passage and what the disciples did here is they looked beyond this man's financial need, his immediate need that was on the surface. It's obvious to see. And they looked to the deeper need that this man had. They looked and they saw the thing that would truly empower this man. It wasn't going to be by silver or gold that was going to do it. It was going to be by one thing, getting to the one thing that could help this man to break free from the trap of poverty. And they healed him. Now, wouldn't that be awesome if we could, if we could do that on a regular basis today? That would be absolutely awesome. But looking for that deeper need is so incredibly important, and it's a huge deal to us at Grace Community Church. Um, Just for your guys' reference, um, when someone comes by the office, the church office, or when they call, and uh, they are in some sort of a crisis, they're in financial need, um, we are definitely open to spending some silver and gold that the church has to help that person's immediate need. And we definitely do that when, when it, it makes sense to do that. But we are far, far more concerned on trying to help take that person by the hand And seeing if we can help them walk and help them break free and and address some of those deeper things. And so when someone comes by or someone calls on the phone, one of the very first questions that we ask, this is a little education for you uh, in in terms of this kind of thing ever happens for you. You know someone, they're in some sort of a crisis situation. It's the very first thing we'll say after we, you know, try and say hello to them and, and get a little bit of a sense of what's happening is, have you been to the county? Have you been to Arlington County Human Services? And the reason that this is such an important question is because in just an hour or two, there is no way that that we are going to be able to really get to some of these deeper things and to be able to provide adequate support to help somebody walk through a process of trying to break through a, a trap or a cycle. Okay. And so basically what we know is that, that if, if they live in Arlington, then they can come to Arlington County, uh, human services. And it's awesome. There is someone there who can meet with them. And basically you get this like full on strategic plan type of an approach, and so you come in and, um, and one of the things that you get help with is to getting, to getting a handle on your, where you are financially and trying to figure out, okay, how do we make sense of this? What's really happening? How do we get a plan together? Okay. How do we get a little budget together for this? So even if we do do something in the short term, we can figure out long-term how, how do we set up a plan for success going forward? Okay. They're, they're set up to do that. They have folks that can help with that. If there are situations that are going on at home or there's some stuff happening that needs counseling and you know mental health services or, or whatever, the county is positioned to be able to provide those resources. Uh, the county is also positioned to help with finding jobs and helping to get ready and get prepared to, to take on those jobs and, and all through holding that person's hand so that they can break out of that trap and we can address the deeper need. So one of the things that, um, that will happen is oftentimes when we ask that question, we'll have varying responses from, uh, no, I just haven't been down there, to, oh, yeah, I think I went down there once, and they really were like, kind of mean, and they didn't help me, or, oh, they said that they're not going to do anything. And, um, and one of, you know what one of the biggest things we do, actually, is we just try and, and really be encouragers And, and handholders through a process where we say, you know what? I know this is, I know it's hard. I know it can feel a little demeaning and it's, it's a tough thing, but you can do this. You know, if, and if you do this and you go through this process, even if the county says no, that they're not going to help you with your immediate need, guess what? Once you've been through that process and once we can come alongside a caseworker and just kind of partner with them and verify some information, then what, what's happening in that moment is then the church can step in. We can step in and we can actually then partner where the county can only do so much. And so, so often, what we're doing is we're just trying to encourage people to engage in the process that is going to help them break free from that, from what's been trapping them. And so, you know, when you think about your dilemma, you, someone's on the street and they approach you for money. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you. What, what is the right thing or the wrong thing to do? Because I believe that depends on God and you've really got to pray through and work through that. But no matter what you decide to do when you have someone in need that comes up to you and they have an immediate crisis, say on the street or whatever, is no matter which way you decide to go with that, you can feel good about, about what's going on here at Grace Community Church and that you are part of a church that is really partnering with people and helping them to walk Okay. Not necessarily, sometimes the silver and gold comes and sometimes it doesn't, but we are partnering with them to help them to long-term solutions to break through traps of poverty. The bottom line here is that poverty is much more complicated and it's much deeper than we think. The visceral reaction is material things, finances, and it is much, much deeper than that so the first challenge we got to rethink the way we see poverty the second challenge we got to rethink our high we got to rethink our high so when you go to help somebody when you go pretty much to do any sort of service thing um and this is just a natural normal thing there's nothing there's nothing wrong with this you want to make a difference, right? I mean, the things you're drawn to, the causes you're drawn to, the times when you feel compelled to respond to someone or something, um it's because you think you're going to make a difference or, you know, that particular thing is a thing that you believe in. And so, you know, you want it to to feel good. You want it to be satisfying or else you probably wouldn't do it. And that's, that's just human nature. Um, when you hear about a, a mission trip or a, a, a service experience on a, at any given time, one of the first questions you'll ask is, okay, what are we going to be doing? You want to know if you're going to enjoy doing that thing, if it's going to match your gifts and it's going to match what you feel compelled to do. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, okay? We want that high, when we serve, and we should, but w- in the midst of looking for something that's going to be a high for us, we cannot lose sight of how the other people, the people we are serving, how that is going to be received by them. Is it going to be a high for them? Now, there are some of you here right now, and you're going, whoa, 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 hold on, time out, time out, time out. I mean, the very fact that we're serving them, of course it's going to be a high for them. Uh, Of course. I mean, gosh, I would love to be served by somebody. It was the last time I got served. That would be amazing. I mean, we're going down to build them a house or we're going to paint something or we're going to give them some food or, you know, whatever it is. How could they not have a high? This is awesome. They're getting something from us. And... If that's your reaction right now please do not tune out for these next few minutes because while we may think that that is like the greatest high for those we're serving it might turn out that it's not at all that way so I want you to pay really close attention to this to this story so um, when Grace first began, uh, one of the first things that, that um, the church embarked upon was a radical outreach to the community. We were meeting at Key Elementary School, and the principal there said her number one need that we could help with was, um, was to get kids ready for kindergarten because they were so far behind. So we picked a low-income uh, area of Arlington with a lot of kids that were way behind already, and we started a, um, a pre-K program there. And that was like one of the very first things that the church did. It was even before before I was there. And then um and then shortly thereafter, um, I, I came to Grace and, and got involved with that. And one of the things that I remember was um was around the holiday time, um, because this program had been going on for a little while, um, you know, everyone at the church was like, Man, we should do something for for that community. And so um I thought this was such a cool idea. Um basically we decided, hey, you know what? Let's everyone go out and shop for presents, or you know, bring presents that are really nice, and we will just we will deck this community center out, and we'll invite all the families from uh, from the neighborhood to come by, and we're just going to bless our socks off this Christmas. And I'm telling you what, I will never forget the look of that community center. It was like Santa's workshop, you guys. It was unbelievable. There were toys. Everywhere, like you could hardly walk through the place. And there was a line of kids and families, like going all the way down the street, just waiting until, you know, we kind of had everything ready and they could come through. And these kids, these kids, could not be contained. They were bouncing off the walls. They were so jacked up. They, they, I mean, they could not wait to get in there. Okay. And man, like, you know, we all went out, and we shopped for stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you're personally invested. You put your stuff in there and we sorted it all and got it all ready and tons of man hours. Man, and those kids came through. And can I tell you what? It was the greatest high to see the looks on those kids' faces. Oh, it was awesome. They were beyond excited. And so, man, we were so high as a church. Everybody just like riding high. And the kids, man, they were high as a kite. But guess what? Upon reflection, upon really thinking about it, it it didn't really hit us. In the moment because we're just so swept up in the kids and the presence and and doing it all and it, it felt so good but but upon reading books like toxic charity and when helping hurts and thinking really critically not just about our high but also like the high of everybody involved you know what we realized we started asking the question how did those parents feel Because you think, well, parents are probably super excited. I mean, the kids are getting presents that they wouldn't normally have. And that's true. But bittersweet, right? Because who got to be the heroes to those kids? Who? Church, man. We were riding high. It was awesome. But who didn't get to be the heroes? Who did not get to be the heroes? The parents. And who do you think would have desperately... Wanted to be the heroes to their kids. It's those parents. <laughs> Great intentions. I mean, unbelievable generosity. Feeling so good. And I don't want to, like, you might, don't start hitting rewind on all the service things you've done, okay? Because that'll be like a real, you know, that could really bum you out right now. But, I mean, we, we do our best with God's help, okay? We're, we're going to get there. But upon reflection, we realized, you know what? It would, what if instead we said, how can we make the parents the heroes? So let's fast forward to what John just talked about in the announcement time. We're, we're doing an adoptive family. We've done it um, the past few years here at, at, at uh, Thomas Jefferson Middle School, taking some of those families under uh, our wing that we can. And um, one of the things that we've talked about with the social worker and kind of agreed upon, at least for right now, we're still working this all out, but is that, Rather than us doing a Santa's workshop type of experience, what if we gathered, we all gathered Target gift cards because Target's very close and convenient. You can get pretty much anything you want there. And what if we collected gift cards in like $25, $50 increments, okay? And the goal was to try and get to like $150 or $200 a family or more, depending on, you know, what everybody feels compelled to do. And we were able to then just hand those gift cards through the social worker to those parents so that those parents would, would be given as much of their dignity and their pride as they possibly could. They're still getting a handout. I mean, that's what it is. But then they get to turn around and they get to decide what would be the best for their family. Could that be messy? Oh, yeah, you clap. That's cool. You, somebody likes it. All right, that's good. Um, could it be messy? Could, could people decide that they want to Uh, Buy groceries with it. Is that okay? We're going to just have to trust them. You know what I'm saying? This is hard. There's, there's, this isn't easy. This is challenging. And you know what? We're going to, we're going to lose some of the, the high. We're going to lose some of the feel good on this one. We are, but I'm believing that that's okay. And I have faith that God's going to work it out. So, um, so that's that's where we are right now. It's up for discussion and debate. And if you adopt a family, that's awesome. If you have a different thing that you do, that's cool. I'm not saying that that's bad. But we just need to be thinking critically all the time. Okay, we gotta think. It's not just about our high. How is that impacting those we serve? All right, I'm gonna leave you guys um, with one last story. But I do want to say um, that one of the things that excites me about this uh, meal packaging thing we're doing these 150,000 meals, is that um, it's a high for us. I mean, if if you haven't been before, you have got to come, and you've got to bring everybody you know, okay? But it's also a high for all the partner organizations that we serve. Okay. Because when you're in, when you've just come through a hurricane or you're in total and complete crisis, you just need immediately relief with really no strings attached. But for the majority of, of programs that get these meals, okay, they're serving kids. The majority of them are schools. You know what happens to school enrollment when you add a free meal? Does anybody know? Yeah. Double or triple. That's what happens. Families no longer have to worry about their kids getting fed. Kids can actually be released from begging and other duties to actually go to school. And one meal a day is probably all they need. That's all they were going to get anyway. So now you are starting to empower the next generation and hopefully break through a cycle and a trap of poverty. And those meals, by the way, they don't just go totally free. The organizations do pay a small cost. It's a very affordable cost, but it helps them to get skin in the game, and it makes sure to preserve markets in different areas. So it's a win for us, man, but it is such a win for those we are serving. All right, last story, and then we're going to close with a prayer. Um, And this one's kind of painful for me. Because it's, uh, it's a little bit embarrassing, but, you know, we learn our lessons and, and we, we have to, you know, we got to do the best we can. So I'm going to share one of mine. Um, about a little over 10 years ago, I, um, I got to go on one of the first uh, mission trips that Grace did to Brazil to visit a family that we had just started partnering with called Ana and Mazzino Caresma. Uh, some of you have heard those names before. Uh, Ana and Mazzino have three biological children, and then they have now adopted um, over 30 children off the streets of Sao Paulo. And um, we're talking about kids that have been through a, a tremendous amount. Some of them are special needs as a result of some of the abuse or some of the things that's happened to them. I mean, it's, it's deep. It's profound. Um, I mean, you talk about just the call of God. Um, I mean, that it's just, it's amazing what God has called them to do. And so um, a little over 10 years ago, I went down with a team from grace and um, we had a number of things we were, we were going to be helping them with. Um, They were putting an addition on their house. And so we were going to be doing some things with that. They had a roof issue and we were helping with the roof issue. We were helping to rebuild a gate that had completely deteriorated. And they were worried about the protection and the security of the kids. And so, man, we had all these tasks lined up and you know, that's cool because we like tasks, don't we? And so um, everything was going swimmingly well until um, the night, it was the Sunday night and we had all of Monday and then we were going to leave on Tuesday. And that Sunday night, I had a a realization that we'd basically done all the tasks. And so Monday was like wide open. And, you know, I'm trying to protect the high of the team, right? I want it to be a great experience. I mean, we've raised money. We've sent out support letters. People are going to ask you, what'd you do? You know, I can't say, what would we do the last day? Well, nothing. We didn't do anything. We just sat around. I, I, I was like, I can't have that. So, went to Ana and Mazzinho and started a conversation, you know, through translation and broken Portuguese and broken English and all this stuff, trying to figure out what, what, do we, what can we do? We're, we're out of We don't have anything else to do. And they very kindly and gently said, well, we just want to hang out. Can you just hang out with us for the day? That would be so great. And I was like, oh, man, that's cool. We've been hanging out all week. You know, it's been awesome. And they said, no, seriously, just hang out with us. And I was like, no, seriously, we need something to do. <laughs> it's funny now. It's really fun. I mean, it's hilarious now. But, but it, I mean, I, I, could not, I couldn't see it. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't see it. And they said, seriously, just, just hang out with the kids. Play with it. You know, just build the relationship. And I said, Seriously, give us something to do. And um, I looked over and there was a field. There was a field that was their field next to their house. And it was like corn stalks everywhere. It was a mess. And I was like, can we clear that field? And they kind of looked at each other reluctantly. And they kind of said something. in Portuguese, I didn't understand. And they said, okay, you can clear the field. And clear the field we did. By hand. We cleared that field. And you know what? This is always emotional for me. The plans for that field that next year were to allow it to lie fallow so it would recover. So we cleared a field that didn't need to be cleared so we could come home on that high. They didn't tell us that. We found that out much later. So let me fast forward to this past spring break, 2016. A number of our teenagers, a bunch of our high schoolers, and a bunch of our high school youth leaders took their spring break to go and visit the charismas. We've been visiting them. We've been supporting them for over a decade as a church. They went back down there. And yeah, there were tasks to do. They were there was stuff to be painted and jobs to be done. And it was cool because our teenagers got to hang out with their teenagers, you know? And so it was just fun. And there were all these great pictures and them working together and building these relationships. And so there was stuff being done because you got to have something to do. I mean, it just, otherwise it's a little, it's a little weird, you know, if you're just all sitting around. So, so they were doing stuff, but you need to hear this. The primary reason for going from the very beginning was that, thank God, 10 years later through this thick skull, okay, we realized that the number one thing that the charisma family wants is a relationship with us. And the number one thing those parents want for their kids is people who will come down and love their kids and build into their kids. And so our goal for going down was actually pretty cool. And I wasn't even there, but it was, that's probably why it was so good, actually. Um, so the, the, thing that, the thing that the team did, from the very beginning they knew this, was you're going down, and you're going to hang out with these kids, and everything that's good or noble or praiseworthy, you know that verse in, in Philippians chapter 4, all those good things, every good thing that you see in one of these kids, take note of it, make a mental note in your mind. And every single night, every single night, that team... The team from Grace, our youth and youth leaders, would huddle for an hour by themselves, and they would exchange notes, and they were gathering intel on these Charisma kids. They would all culminate in the final night. The final night, the team gathered the whole family, okay, and there's a whole lot of them, all right, they gathered the whole family into one room, and one by one, they put each of those Charisma kids on the hot seat. That's what they called it, okay? The hot seat right in the middle. And they put that kid right in the middle. And then they started to speak truth into these kids' lives. Kids that have been, had horrific things happen to them. You can be an adopted into a family of, men. there's like 30-some kids. Like, you know, that's hard. And they, one by one, not just youth leaders, not just the youth pastor, but our teenagers got to sit there and say, you know what was so cool about you? I saw you doing this on Tuesday. You know what I love about you is this. You know what I see in you? You know what God's gifting in you is? And they showered love and truth and affirmation on child after child after child, literally every single one, and then even Anna and Mazzino. The whole family... And they just bless the heck out of them. Insert applause here. Yeah. Okay. That is amazing. Now, was that harder than just like putting up a wall, building a fence? Was that harder? Yes. That's much harder. That is a Eli- You were there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was a heartfelt yes. Um, it's much harder. But you know what was awesome about that? You better believe that was a high for our team. Okay? You better believe that was a high. But guess who else it was a high for? That Charisma family. You know, I can't ever, I can't say this with, with authority, but from every fiber in my being, I believe that there are kids there They will never forget that night. Never, ever, ever, ever forget that night. They'll never, ever forget those words that were spoken. Ever. That's a high, like no other high. You guys, doing the most good, it's hard. We racked our brains, thought and thought and prayed and talked. And then you got to convince everybody on the team, like, what? You know, I mean, there's a lot of work here. But man, it is so worth it. So, I hope you're challenged today. I hope you're challenged to rethink poverty. It's so much deeper than money, financial material resources. It's deeper than that. I hope you're challenged to rethink Who's getting high? That didn't sound right. Um, (laughs) Okay, but you know what I'm saying. We got to think critically. We're not just called to go do anything. We're called to do the best we can with God's help, with the brains he's given us in this community to do the absolute best we can for those we're called to serve before I pray for you, I just want to let you know where we're heading next week. Next week, similar similar kind of a message, uh, very much in the how do we go about doing this. And the good news is that if today was too much to wrap your brain around, uh, next week, it, you can, if you just remember what we're going to talk about next week, you can pretty much forget everything else, and um, and it's going to be okay. We're going to look at a parable of Jesus, and it's not the very famous parable that you might think of when you think about Jesus and missions and social justice things. It's a different parable, but I believe that it really holds the essential principle that if we just keep that in mind and we forget everything else, we're going to do fine. So I hope you'll come back next week. Maybe you'll think about bringing a friend who's not much of a church person, but they, they like serving people and they like, they like mission stuff. This is an easy easy invite opportunity next week. Let me pray for you and then we'll we'll, we'll go. God, we thank you that you actually don't really want us just sitting on the sidelines in the midst of all the hurt and the suffering and the brokenness of this world. But God, you call us out. You call us into the mess. You call us to be your hands and your feet in this world. And um, God, we're grateful for that. It's a privilege to partner with you. But God, the how, the what this looks like, that's where it gets tough. And God, just help us first and foremost, help help us to make sure we're thinking critically. Help us to think critically about poverty. What is it? What's the deeper thing that's going on? Help us to walk with people. Help us to, to help people break free from traps and cycles. And God, in the midst of wanting just super cool service things that get us fired up, God, please, please, let us be so sensitive, so mindful of those we're serving. We just want to be like you, Jesus. Help us to do that. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.